Well, I want to welcome you to this podcast, but I want to give you some information before we get started. Um, I'm going to begin teaching a systematic theology class uh, at First Baptist Church in Polk City on Thursday evening, um, August the 18th. Uh, so when you hear this, it's just a little bit more than a week away. Um, that systematic theology class is it's completely free except for you know i'm encouraging everybody to get the textbook and you can get it at amazon or any number of other uh, sites online uh, you can get it for as little as 25 i've seen it for 35 dollars as well um, but the purpose of doing this bible doctrine class systematic theology is to help people in a society that we live in now where we're being bombarded with all sorts of false philosophies. Marxism is a big thing right now. And unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of Christians, a lot of pastors that are buying into a false philosophy that cannot mix with scripture. It's, it's, it's like oil and water. You're trying to mix the two of those. And I'm convinced it's because these guys and gals, Christians, don't really haven't really dug into God's word and they're grounded in the truth. And so that's why I do this podcast, but also that's why I'm making available a free uh, course, systematic theology course. So if you want to participate in that, and I know many of you live away from uh, Central Florida, if you want to participate in that, then go to my website, mattsmusings.net, and you can go to the show notes for this podcast. I've got mattsmusings.net there. But uh, one of the uh, very top articles, one of the very top posts, it's called Systematic Theology Course. Click on that. And when you click on that, uh, it's going to show you the book, the textbook, that uh, I'm using for the course. And if you go down to the bottom of that post, it's actually going to have a downloadable syllabus um, where you can download that and see if this is for you. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to teach the class and it looks like there's somewhere in the neighborhood of, I'm guessing, 20 to 30 that are going to be in the class on site. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a, a camera aimed at me and a microphone aimed at me. Um, and we're going to stream it to the website, to the church website, fbcpolkcity.com. So what you can do, and I'm also going to try to make uh, worksheets available. So I'm going to I'm going to let you know a little bit later on how we're going to do that as well. Uh, just got a lot of irons in the fire and haven't thought that through yet. Uh, but if you want to be involved in that course, just go to my website and uh, click on Systematic Theology Course, get yourself informed. Uh, if you want to join the class, all you got to do is purchase the book, download the syllabus, and then uh, I will let you know where you can download the worksheets for each class, and then you can just watch it you know, online at our church website. So let's get into today's podcast. It is the August 9th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. And I have you, if you haven't figured it out already, I'm Matt Ellis. I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. And today's reading is Psalm 77 and 78 and Romans 10. But we're only going to focus on the New Testament in this podcast. Let's get started.
Okay, so when we come to Romans chapter 10, we come to uh, a chapter, and one, one of the things that uh, we need to remember is that the chapters and verses were not a part of the original writings. Um, the Old Testament, all of that, most certainly was completed by um, five, six hundred a uh, BC. Uh, I can't remember exactly when the last letter was written, um, but uh, maybe it was four hundred BC, somewhere around there. I know that there were four hundred silent years, but uh, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, where there was no prophet, there was no word that was written. So it may be that Malachi was written around four hundred BC. Um, but also, the New Testament was uh, written and completed by probably no later than A.D. 95. So, all of those were done. So, when did the chapters and verses come in? Well, the chapters uh, were created sometime around A.D. 1220. Sometime around 1200, a little bit after 1200 AD. So you're talking about a good 1100 years after the Old and New Testament have absolutely been completed, about 1100 years, 1100 years uh, before the um, chapters are added. So this was definitely not a part of the original writings. The verses actually came later on. It was about... Uh, 200 years or 300 years later. Um, the Old Testament was done around the mid-1400s. The New Testament verses were added around the mid-1500s. And so I just want you to... The reason I'm saying that is when we say chapter 10, maybe in our mind we're thinking, okay, everything past is is something previous and now it's a new topic. It's, it's a different chapter. It's not necessarily the case because when Paul wrote this... He didn't divide it into chapters. It was just one long letter. And he didn't divide it into verses. It was all just one long letter. So realize when we're going into different chapters that um, they're connected to what was written previously, um, much more so than chapters would allow us to think. So when we get to Romans chapter 10, verse 1, what we hear is Paul just continuing the conversation that he was involved in in chapter 9, that he loved the Jewish people, that the Jewish people had rejected the gospel, but he loved the Jewish people. We had read that uh, he said, if it were possible, I could wish that I would be a curse, that I would spend eternity in hell, lose my salvation, if it would mean that I could transfer my salvation to all of the Jews so that they might be saved. And uh, so Paul is saying this because in the book of Acts, there were a couple of times where he wiped his hands clean and said, you know what, forget the Jews, I'm going to the Gentiles. But then we see him continue to reach out to the Jews. And so in the book of Romans, he's saying, guys, even though I grew frustrated with the Jews and I was spending my time reaching the Gentiles, I still love the Jewish people. And that's what he said in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I want them to be saved. And so as he goes further into Romans 10 and the first uh, 13 verses, he's going to talk about the gospel. 
he's going to talk about the gospel. In verses 2 and 3, he's talking about how the Israelites were excited about God, but it was an uninformed excitement. They were excited about God, but they were convinced that the way that they came into a right relationship with God, with God was through the law. And because they did so, they demonstrated that they didn't want a righteousness that God could give them through Jesus. They wanted to have their own righteousness by the law. And they had to shut down their conscience and not think deeply about it, or they would have realized that trying to live according to the law only led to their frustration because they could not obey the law. And so verse 4, it says, For Christ or the Christ is the Greek word Mashiach, it's the Greek word Christos, which is equal to the Old Testament Hebrew word Mashiach, which means Messiah. And so Christ and Messiah are the same thing. For the Messiah, for Christ, for Jesus, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That word end is interesting. Um, we When we think of the word end, we think of the end, it's over with. Well, the word end in the original language is the Greek word telos, and it means to come to its fulfillment, for something to be completed because it's reached its purpose. That's what this word is. And so when it says Christ is the end of the law of righteousness, for righteousness, what it's saying is Jesus, in living his perfect life, fulfilled the law. He fulfilled fulfilled the law in himself. Every single law that was pertaining to him, he fulfilled it. Every single Old Testament prophecy that pointed to the incarnation of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, those things that were fulfilled to be fulfilled in his human life, he fulfilled everything. So that when we trust in Jesus, he who has fulfilled the law, he has the he is the only one who has ever lived out the law fully, never not only not breaking a law, but he 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 complied with every single law. Um what happens at salvation is he not only forgives us, he says, you know, I lived perfectly according to the law. The law pointed to me and I fulfilled all of those laws, all of those prophecies that pointed to me. So I gained a righteousness in the flesh. And so when we are saved, Jesus says, I will not only forgive you of your sins, but I will credit you with my righteousness that I gained while I was living on earth. For Christ, verse 4, is the end, the, the completion, the fulfillment of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. That's what Paul is saying. That's how we get righteous. It's not by trying to obey the law because we can never fully obey the law. If we're honest with ourselves, trying to obey the law will only lead to frustration. But when we believe, when we trust in Jesus then we get a righteousness that we could have never gained on our own. We get Jesus' righteousness credited to our account. That's what Paul is talking about. That's the gospel. It's how we are forgiven and how we are declared righteous so that we are being fitted for heaven. 
And so what uh, Paul does in, in the next few verses is he quotes from Moses in verse 5. He quotes Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. And uh, as he's talking about these Old Testament passages, what he's doing is saying that this is not something that's just new to the old new to the new testament this is something that even the old testament pointed toward uh, in fact, in verse 5, when he says, he, he quotes Moses as saying in Leviticus 18.5, the one who does these things will live by them. He said, you know, when you fully understand, when you completely understand what Moses was saying, you realize that what Moses was saying was you cannot get a righteousness by living by the law. Moses was saying, when he said the one who does these things will live by them, Moses was saying that if you were to obtain a righteousness by the law, then you had to completely obey it your whole life. Not one time could you violate it. The one who does these things will live by them. And if you do not live by the law, fully obeying it for your entire life, then all the, the law does is convict you. And so Paul was pointing out that obeying the law was never intended to be a way for someone to be made righteous. Uh, whenever he's quoting uh, Moses again in verses 6 through 8, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 12 through 14. And once again, Paul is just saying that the righteousness that comes by faith was something Moses also believed and taught. This, is, this righteousness by faith is not novel. It's not New Testament only. It is something Moses taught. That's why Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. He is writing to say that even in the Old Testament, the way to be made righteous was by trusting in the Lord. Um, I want to look at verse 9 because verse 9 is an often misunderstood and often misapplied verse. Verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so what he was doing is referring back to Deuteronomy, where he quoted from Deuteronomy in verse 8. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you in your mouth and in your heart. He's quoting from Deuteronomy, mouth and heart. And so Paul takes those two things in your mouth and in your heart, and he goes to verse 9 and says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Moses is pulling from the Old Testament and saying, this is how we get saved. It's, it's your mouth and it's your heart. So the thing is, as we look at this and we say, okay, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, so it appears that, that we have to say something with our mouth and then believe. It looks like it's in order. But if you look at the very next verse, one who believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth, so then we see the order flipped. I believe the order in verse 10 is actually the right order um, that we trust in Jesus with our heart and then our mouth professes that he is Lord to testify to the fact that we truly have trusted in him. But I think in verse 9, it's not like Paul got it out of order because, I mean, he, he reversed it the very next sentence. I think what Paul's doing in verse 9 is just giving the order in which um, the order in which uh, 
Moses uh, gave it. Uh, that um, you know, Moses talked about the mouth, that the, the message is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And so all he did is just give it in that order. But I'm telling you that people typically don't quote verse 10. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. People don't usually quote that verse. That verse says, believe on Jesus in your heart, and then let your mouth be informed. Tell people about it. Confess him as Lord with with your mouth. We're saved in our heart, but then our mouth testifies to it. People don't quote verse 10, they quote verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the problem with that is that there are those that say, do you want to be saved? will say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And so that is made a stipulation of salvation, that you've got to confess it with your mouth and then believe it in your heart. So they're taking the order of verse 9, which was not intended to be an order. Paul is just following up with his quote from Deuteronomy about how that the mouth is mentioned first and then the heart. The order technically is verse 10. Um, But when we look at this, some people erroneously turn salvation into just saying a formula. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. One of the things that I would say to speak into that is who was Paul writing this letter to? Well, it was the Romans. Okay, so where do the Romans live? They live in Rome. So who is over the Roman Empire? Caesar. Caesar believes that he is just a man, or does he believe that he is someone to be worshipped? Well, I'm telling you, they came a time within the Roman Empire and with the Caesars that eventually they demanded worship. And for you to say that anyone else was Lord was to be committing insurrection. You were guilty of saying that there was some other Lord other than Caesar and you probably forfeited your life. And so Paul said, if we take verse 9 and say, okay, let's just go with this order, then what Paul is saying is, is if you confess with your mouth in Rome, don't say Caesar is Lord, you say Jesus is Lord. Because if you're willing to say that, then it is seem, it seems so abundantly clear that you have burned the ships and you really are trusting in Jesus. So... I just want us to see that this is this is not a, a just a, a phrase that people are supposed to say to be saved. That's not what Paul is saying at all, at all. So let's just move on. Um, he's uh, there. He's giving the gospel. The gospel is trusting in Jesus in our heart, and then our mouth testifies to that. Uh, we go public with our faith for a Christian. The 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 biblical way of going public with our faith, the first step of obedience is baptism. That's how we go public. But Paul is saying, but if you're truly saved, you're not going to be able to keep it quiet. You're going to be saying that Jesus is Lord, and you're going to be telling other people how they can come into a relationship with Jesus as well. 
Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want you to notice that it says, it does not say, for only some people who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul doesn't even say, for only the predestined or for only the elect who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what he's talking about here is the human side of the equation. Back in Romans 9, we talked about the God side of the equation, that there is God who predestines and God who calls, God who pulls people into himself. And Paul was building the case for how are you to say that God can choose who he wants and overlook others? How are you to say that? Because God chose Abraham, and he didn't choose Abraham's brothers. God chose uh Pharaoh to and, and said that he raised him up for this purpose, that he may be glorified. God had a purpose in, in reaching out to Pharaoh, but not for salvation, but to show uh, his wrath. And so that, Romans 9, is the God side of things. Romans 10, particularly verse 13, is the man side of thing. I'm telling you, friend, do we believe in a God who is sovereign and who reaches out and calls people to salvation? Yes, we do. The Bible teaches that. But do we also believe that whoever desires to call upon the name of the Lord can be and will be saved? We believe that because that's Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Once again, there are those that desire to explain that, and some that I believe are so arrogant as to say that they understand how all of this works. I don't. I believe both of them. I believe both of them. They're both in Scripture. Don't debate. Don't get into debates. There be, People have been debating the sovereignty of God versus the free will of man for millennia. Um, don't get into those debates. You just say, if the Bible says it, and it says that God is fully in control, and God elects, and God predestines, well, then I believe that. I believe that God is God, and He can choose. But I also believe that the Bible teaches that whoever, whoever desires to call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We believe both. Now, if you were to ask me, uh, if Matt, if you were on that continuum where over on one side is God's sovereignty, over on the other, do you believe both of those? Yes, I would say yes. But if you were to ask me, which side do you kind of lean toward? I'm telling you very clearly, I lean toward God's side. I lean toward the sovereignty of God, that mankind has a free will. God's uh, word makes that so abundantly clear. But I'm telling you, that if it were not for God reaching out to us, we would not reach back to him. There's none that seeks God, none that pursues him, none that's righteous, no, not one. The Bible has a very low view of mankind's ability to choose God, to want to choose him. But the fact is, is that choice is always there for everyone. And the fact is, is that Paul says in Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
As I pointed out in a previous podcast, I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said that the way that he understood this is every single person is at you know looking at a door. You know, if they're coming to the point of salvation, if they're looking at a door and the door says, Whosoever will may come. And so they say, Well, that whosoever, that's me, and I want Jesus. I'm trusting in him for salvation. And so they walk through that door of salvation. Now, when they turn around and they look at that same door, but this time from the other side, on the other side, it says, chosen from the foundations of the earth. On this side, whosoever will may come. On the other side, for those who trust in Jesus, we realize that God said, yep, you are one that I reached out to and I called to myself. Don't reject either one of those. We believe both. Well, in verses 14 through the end of the chapter, verse 21, Paul is just quoting prolifically from the Old Testament. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, Isaiah 53, verse 1. He quotes from Psalm chapter 19, verse 4, quotes from Deuteronomy again in, verse 30, in chapter 32, verse 21. Uh, and then he quotes from Isaiah again, Isaiah 65, verses 1, and then verse 2. And what he's doing in quoting all of these Old Testament passages is he knows that there's going to be Jews that are reading this. And he wants to point out to the Jews that what he is preaching and teaching is consistent with their Bible, what we would call the Old Testament, but what they would call the Scriptures. And so Paul is quoting prolifically from the Old Testament saying, what I am preaching, this New Testament theology, is really rooted in the Old Testament. And so when you get to verses 14 and 15, uh, he talks about the uh, how salvation works. Verses 14 and 15, How then can they call on him whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? Now, one of the things I do want to interject here really quick, that word preacher, we may think that that's talking about the office of preacher. I don't believe that it is. I think that it's saying, how can they hear without a proclaimer? That's the word. Uh, it's the it's the Greek word, uh, keruso, I believe. And it just means someone who's proclaiming the gospel. And friend, that is you and that's me. How can they hear without someone who is proclaiming the gospel? Verse 15, and how can they preach or how can they proclaim that unless they are sent as it's written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news he's quoting from Isaiah 52 and so what he does is he works backwards he says that uh, the uh, the calling the how can they call on him and whom they have not believed so call is some, what he is saying is those who are saved are calling on the name of the Lord. They're enjoying their God. How can they call on God unless they have believed? So they have to believe in order for them to come into a relationship where they are in prayer calling on the Lord and enjoying him in their life that is redeemed. But he says, how can they believe unless they hear the word of the Lord, the gospel, somebody proclaiming? And how can they hear that unless someone goes out and shares it? And how can they hear the gospel uh, that someone shares? How can someone share unless God sends them to proclaim the gospel? So who does God send to proclaim the gospel? Your answer ought to be all of us. 
In Matthew chapter 28, as Jesus was giving what is commonly called the Great Commission, he didn't say, now this is only for you preachers, only for those of you that are called into the ministry. He didn't say that. He said he's looking at his disciples, all of those that were there with him, and he said, go and make disciples. Go make disciples. Make disciples means tell them the gospel, help them to understand how it is that they can trust in me, Jesus, for salvation, and then help them grow in their faith by teaching them all of the things that I've commanded you. And so that command to go and share the gospel and then help people grow justification, and then sanctification, it's given to everybody. So the gospel is absolutely free, but not all the people are going to respond to it. And that's what Paul's point is. The Jews did not respond to what was shared with them. The Jews did not respond generally. There were Jews, there were Hebrews that did trust in Jesus, but overwhelmingly the Jews did not. And so then, let's just kind of skip a few verses, go down to verse 18. Paul is asking questions again that, uh, you know, he's kind of in his head. He's asking a question that he anticipates can either going to be asked by his readers or a question that would kind of help his argument along. And so he asks a question in verse 18, but I asked, did they not hear? So he's saying, did the Jews not hear? Did they not hear the gospel? He said, nope, that's not true. And then he quotes Psalm chapter 19, verse 4. And uh, when he quotes Psalm 19, 4, that's general revelation. Uh, Their voice has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. And so that's general revelation. Paul is pulling that verse in to say that God has not only spoken to the Jews and everyone in general revelation, where they can look at the sky, they can look at the trees, they can look at the orderliness of everything, they can look at the fine-tuning of the universe and realize that there is a God out there and maybe even come to some conclusions about that God. But Paul is saying, he's implying, that even now in the New Testament, it's gone from general revelation to particular revelation, and that's the proclamation of the gospel. People cannot be saved by looking at the sky. They cannot understand the gospel. They don't even know the gospel by looking at trees and the orderliness of the universe. That's general revelation. Someone has to go and tell them the gospel. That's particular revelation. And so Paul was quoting Psalm 19 saying, not only is God speaking to people saying, I am here, I created all things, come to know me in general revelation, but Paul said now even in the New Testament, the gospel proclamation is going out, it's fanning out, and people are hearing the gospel. He said, have the Jews not heard the gospel? Paul is saying, it's not likely. It's not likely that they haven't heard because he said the gospel has taken the world. He's implying this. The gospel is taking the world by storm. It's not that they haven't heard. They rejected, and they're not being saved, and they're going to spend, many of them are going to spend an eternity in hell. Paul said it's not because they haven't heard. We've told them. In verse 19, but I ask, did Israel not understand? So now he's saying, okay, so they heard, but maybe they just didn't understand. And so now he is quoting um, out of Deuteronomy 32 and Isaiah chapter 65. And what he is saying here is, no, it is not because they did not understand. 
It's not because they did not understand. He said that, and what he quotes is that God, even in the Old Testament, was moving from the Jews and reaching out to the Gentiles. If you read Deuteronomy, if you read Romans 10, verses 19 and 20, where he quotes Deuteronomy 32 and Isaiah 65, Paul is saying, even in the Old Testament, God at times was frustrated with his own people, the people of Israel, and was saying that he was going to reach out to the Gentiles. Why? Because they understood, they just chose to disobey. Now, once again, Paul is talking about Jews, but this is, this is the attitude of the human heart. This is an illustration of the human heart. There are so many people that they've heard the gospel, they heard it, they did understand it, but they reject it. This is what Paul is talking about here. The gospel is beautiful. It's a gospel that is grace. It comes by trusting in Jesus. It's, it's received by faith. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. But he said even then people don't, many people don't want it. And then he finishes in verse 21. But to Israel, he says, All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. And he's quoting Isaiah chapter 65, verse 2. What he's saying here is God continues to reach out to rebellious people. In that case, the people of Israel. But God keeps reaching out to people even today. Thank goodness that he is patient, that he's long-suffering, that God's heart, God's heart is that all would come to repentance. God is not willing that any, God is willing that all should repent and come to repentance. God is not willing that any should perish. That's God's heart. And so God continues to reach out to people calling people generally to himself. And we, as we look at Revelation 10, ought to join God in doing that. Don't be offended. Don't take it personally when you share the gospel with someone and they do not trust in Jesus, or maybe they outright reject it. It's not you that they reject. People have been rejecting the Lord and rejecting the gospel for 2,000 years now. Many people have. But there will be some that they, they are, their heart is being prepared by God's Holy Spirit. And they will be ready when someone shares the gospel with them and calls them to a decision. So let's join the Lord in this work of sharing the good news of the gospel that comes freely by Christ. Nothing we do can earn it or deserve it, but we share it because it comes by Christ and we simply join him in doing what he's told us to do in sharing the gospel with others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we thank you so, so much for the gospel that is the story of what you have done to make us right with the Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to earth, you lived a perfect life, you died on the cross as a substitute for anyone and everyone who will trust in you so that you would pay our sin debt. And then when you rose from the dead, you conquered not only sin, but you conquered the consequences of sin so that we can one day, not only can we enjoy you in this life, but one day we can be with you for 
forever in a place where there is no sin and there are no consequences of sin. There's no curse. But Lord Jesus, I pray that we would not be so greedy and so self-centered that we would keep such good news for to ourselves. Lord, I pray that um, that you would help us to desire to know you more and to share you with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope today's episode has helped you to understand and enjoy God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Enjoying the Bible podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Check us out at fbcpolkcity.com. See you next time. Thank you.